Hello, and welcome to Cross the Line, a Christian perspective on politics. If you enjoy this episode, find us online at thecitizensbrief.com. Give us a follow on Instagram and a like on Facebook at The Citizens Brief to see more insightful Christian political content in your feed. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy this episode of Cross the Line. Now to your host, Daniel Hostetter. Welcome to the Citizen Brief Podcast. My name is Daniel Hostetter, and I'm the editor-in-chief of the outlet and your host for today's podcast. If you haven't heard of the Citizen's Brief, we are a nonpartisan political daily newsletter produced by students. If you want to learn more about us, go to thecitizensbrief.com. Again, that's thecitizensbrief.com. You can read our past archived editions there. We're up to 40 editions now after starting in November. And you can uh, listen to our podcast there. There's a playlist where you can listen to that, and you can see all kinds of links to our other publications as well. So today, again, I'm going to bring on Jacob Kuster uh, to talk on our podcast today about the Iowa caucuses. Jacob Kuster was on our podcast uh, last week, and it's a blessing to have him back. He's a wonderful columnist, and he's steady. He's contributed almost every day. He's our uh, specialist in European elections and European affairs. So Jacob, uh, today we're going to talk about the Iowa caucuses. They took place on Monday, and this is the first caucus in the nation. So basically how it works is Democratic voters, because this was the Democratic caucus, all the Democratic voters in a certain precinct, which would be like an area, like in Pennsylvania, we would go to, say, the local fire station or something to vote. So all the people in the precinct that are registered Democratic voters and are interested in caucusing would go to that caucus area, often it's a high school gym or or a conference center, and there's a surrogate from each campaign there, say one from the Biden campaign and one from the Yang campaign, campaign and one from the Sanders campaign. And they all stand in their own corners with their little, like, Biden for President t-shirt. And they basically give these little speeches to convince Democratic voters to come to their sides, which is a really interesting and different um, technique than is used in normally semi-closed and closed primaries, as in New Hampshire and in a state like Pennsylvania. So basically, after the first round of stuff is decided, um, the candidates are analyzed and the voting the, the voters are counted up. And if... Canada has less than 15% of support in that certain precinct, then they are considered non-viable. The other candidates that get over 15% are considered viable, and those viable candidates cannot switch support in this, the second round. The people that are supporting the non-viable candidates, so anyone that's supporting, say, Andrew Yang, who pulled at about 5% on Monday, could switch to another candidate in the second round. So someone like Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders, who's pulling over 15%, tried to convince... Uh, people of like Amy Klobuchar or Yang or Steyer to come over to their side. So it's a very interesting process. Um, so these took place on Monday. Uh, Jacob, why are the Iowa caucuses so important in the Democratic nomination process? Yeah, uh, so it's the first caucus um, in the race for the Democratic nomination. So um, it's really important for the Democrats to choose their candidate um, to run against um, the Republican nomination, which is... Um, it looks like it's going to be Donald Trump. Um, he looks like he's um, really beating the other um, the other uh, contenders for the Republican nomination. Um, so he's an obvious candidate. Right. And an interesting fact about Iowa is that they are 90% white. 90% of their electorate is white. So that definitely changes the dynamic as Democrats are becoming more diverse. There's more and more concerns about whether Iowa is really the best representation of the party. Um, but some Republicans and some 
some uh, people that counter that would argue that a place like Nevada, where there's a lot of Hispanics and Latinos, and a place like South Carolina, which is uh, majority African-American, those primaries and caucuses are not long after Iowa. So they argue that it creates a better picture in, in totality when you add in those states. Um, so the Iowa caucuses took place on Monday, and normally the caucus results are announced that night by the state Democratic Party. But this year was different, and it created a very interesting uh, mishap. So basically this year they tried out a new reporting app before the precinct captains and the local officials could report the results of the caucuses just by phone. So they would call into the state party and read off the results and it would work that way. But this year they tried a new reporting app that they could use on their phones to type it in to try to streamline and modernize the process. But the only problem with this app is that they hadn't extensively tested the app statewide. <clears throat> so they encountered a lot of issues with that on caucus night that they had not foreseen, which created a lot of issues in the reporting. Data was coming in inconsistently. Some stuff wasn't getting, getting reported. So the party decided not to report the votes to the media or to the candidates or to anyone until really yesterday. There was not much released. On Tuesday, there was a press conference with the head of the Iowa Democratic Party, and he came up and said, look, there's issues, there's technical issues uh, in the code, and I can't do anything about it. So they've been working really hard to uh, fix those coding issues. Right now, they're at 97% of precincts reporting, finally, and this is almost three days later. So this is a huge deal for them. It's really been exploited by Republicans as saying that Democrats can't do their job, which is really interesting. But it has had a large impact on um, the candidates that are winning, because normally they get the Iowa bump, is kind of the... What, what, is, what is called. They get the bump going, I went to New Hampshire, but someone like Buttigieg or Sanders might not get that because of the de delayed results. So right now, 97% uh, of the results in. Pete Buttigieg has 26.2% of the state delegates, while Bernie is right on his tail with 26.1%. Bernie is currently still winning the popular vote, but because of how the dele delegates work, work uh, Buttigieg is just ahead in delegates. So it will come down to the wire. They, mo they might both claim victory in the end just because of how it works. Uh, Warren is a little bit behind with 18%. Biden is near 15%, which was a little bit lower than he was expecting. And Klobuchar really surprised with about 12%. So Jacob, who stands to gain the most from this delay in the results? Um, I think the Republicans have the most to gain from the, uh, from the delay in results um, because it shows that the Democrats are not really, um, are not really um, on par um, and, and not, aren't ready, sort of, with the with the, a nomination, they feel um, uneasy about who it's going to be. They're not sure if it's going to be Bernie Sanders or Warren, who are a little bit more um, outspoken on the Democratic side. So it's really, um, it's really a toss-up. It's anyone's game. And as you said about uh, Sanders and Warren and some of those more outspoken progressives, do you see, how do you see this uh, battle in the Democratic Party? working out between the more progressive left and the more centrist, like the Bidens and the Klobuchar's. How do you see that battle playing out in the, in the, during these next couple primaries? Um, I think that the moderates have uh, more of a base because you have a lot of older Democrats. Um, so older Democrats are going to be more inclined to vote for moderates, while um, younger people are going to vote for more outspoken progressives like Warren and uh, Sanders. Um, but I don't think there are enough young people um, um, interested in progressivism these days. Um, it's more of like the 
the um, older generations, like the, the boomer generation. Um, after World War II, there was a shift in politics for more progressive policies, um, advancing globalism to eliminate war and poverty. So that was the progressive push for globalism right after World War II. And that was a characteristic of the boomer generation. Um, it's sometimes called boomer liberalism. Uh, so, um, and, and that's, um, that's a phenomenon, but, um, yeah, uh, younger people are more conservative, I, I would say, my observation. You've seen that? I've definitely yeah. seen that. So, um, I think a moderate is more likely to win. Right, and with so many older voters going out to the primaries and the caucuses, like, there's still a much higher percentage of the boomer generation going out than, say, the millennials or Gen Z who's starting to vote, um. But as we see this kind of contrast between the farther left of the party and the moderate, as you've been saying about, do you, do you feel that it's going to come down to a two-horse race? And who do you feel like those two candidates could be? Um, I think it might be um, Warren and Buttigieg. I think Warren is uh, the more favorable among progressive Democrats. Um, I don't think a Democratic Socialist like um, Bernie Sanders could win all of the states. Um, and he's very old, so I don't think, um, I don't think younger people are, are having, are interested in having an older candidate. Um, so I think Warren might be the best option for them. She's not as old as, as Bernie, but she's, um, she's definitely a strong progressive that's, uh, favorable among progressive Democrats. And, uh, Buttigieg seems to be very popular among uh, working class uh, Democrats, working class progressives. Right. Um, so I think it might be Warren and Buttigieg. So do you see the Buttigieg-Biden, those are kind of the two main, more moderate and centrist candidates with Klobuchar lagging a little bit behind, kind of in Joe Biden's lane. But do you see P Pete Buttigieg as gaining enough uh, support from minorities to uh, overpass Biden, as Biden has a lot of African-American and Latino support? Do you think that Buttigieg's support with working class, do you think that is enough for him to overcome Biden? Um, I think so. I think that um, Buttigieg has a lot of, um, a lot of uh, money, a lot of uh, finances for his campaign. Um, he's reached out to um, a lot of billionaires. I know it's been in the news recently. He's uh, reached out to those people, and um, they're willing to give him money. And uh, that's up to him how he finances his campaign. Right. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see Buttigieg, especially because he's winning the Iowa caucus right now, which to some was a surprise. Um, I'm not I'm honestly not surprised. I, I know that he has a lot of that working class support like the Iowan um, non-college educated, you know, some of the people that would have voted for Trump even in 2016. I could see uh, being fooled by Buttigieg, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the Iowa bump uh However mystified that is, I don't really know if it even applies at this point because of the delay in results. Yeah. But it'll be really interesting to see how much that affects Buttigieg going into a place like New Hampshire where more of the voters are college-educated and Bernie does seem to have a little bit of a headway there. So actually going into that, what is next? So the New Hampshire primary, which is the first primary in the nation and the second out of the primary in Cox's, starts next Tuesday. Um, polls are going to close, I think, about 7 o'clock p.m., so we should get the results not long after that, hopefully if there's no mishaps again. Uh, there's going to be 33 delegates to the National Convention that are up for grabs. Uh, the difference in turnout will be interesting. Only about 150,000 to 200,000 voters in Iowa came out to the caucuses, which 
is really interesting stat to look at. I know my mind was blown when I saw that because we put so much attention on it, yet it's only 200,000 or so Iowans. Uh, so that is really big difference compared to New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, because it's a primary and it's, it's a little bit less intensive, you don't have to know quite as much about the process to attend. Uh, as compared to about 50% of registered Democrats in New Hampshire that show up. I think it was 52 in 2016. Uh, and New Hampshire is more college-educated, a little bit more diverse. You've got that Ivy League vibe going up there. So right now, in a Real Clear Politics poll, which just came out about a week ago, Bernie is at 25% right now. Biden is next at 17%, which is interesting. Uh, that's Right now, he's pulling in fourth in Iowa. So this would be a bump for him. Uh, Buttigieg and Warren are both about even at 14%, with Buttigieg just a little bit ahead. So it'll be a very interesting primary. I could see Bernie running away with it in a way, but it'll be interesting to see how long his support is sustained. Yeah, and uh, New Hampshire is right next to his state of Vermont. So he has a lot of support in the New England states. Um, But I think uh, Buttigieg might outpace Biden because, um, like I said... Uh, with uh, more moderate, uh, moderate uh, progressives, um, I think Buttigieg is the f- most favorable among them. Uh, Biden has just lost steam. Um, I think um, just um, his his um, the way the way he he uh, expresses his ideas are not very f- uh, fluent, and um, so I think Biden is losing steam, right. and Buttigieg might outpace him. Um, I personally don't trust polls, so... Yes, understandably. (laughs) They're all over the place. Like, we saw in 2016, like, Hillary Clinton was favored to win by almost everyone, by a large amount, and Trump came out of nowhere. Uh, He had had a lot of supporters kind of behind the wall, but uh, it's interesting to see, like you said about Buttigieg, he really is taking a good middle lane right now. He has a lot of appeal to uh, moderate, more moderate and some more progressive voters as well that aren't comfortable with the leftism of Warren or... Sanders, but they also aren't a fan of Biden, and they want to move past the Obama years and move into something new. So it's a really interesting road that he's taking. I I would agree with you. I think that he could gain a lot of support from those kind of voters. And Biden is—he's getting older. He's—he hasn't really had much enthusiasm lately. He's—he's really been down. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, where the moderate wing of the party goes from here. Definitely. And in other news, there's some stuff happening in Europe. And Jacob is our European expert, so we wanted to give him just a few seconds to talk about Europe. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Le Pen uh, in France, she is the um, she's the further right um, candidate for president in twenty twenty two. There's going to be a French presidential election, and um, she uh, borrowed money from, or her party borrowed money from a Russian company, and uh, they haven't paid back that loan, so. Um, they're going to court, and uh, the Russians have sued. The Russians have sued um, the National Rally Party. Well, thank you, Jacob. We'll have more on that next time. But thank you for listening to the Citizens Brief Podcast. We're out of time, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.